Hello everyone. My name is Shauna Ramsey and I'm a Title Plus Consultant with LawPro. We're bringing you the third episode of the In Closing podcast today where we'll be discussing topics important to the real estate community. Whether you're a real estate agent, real estate broker, lender, lawyer, investor, or homeowner, we'll hopefully provide you with some insightful content. Today's guest is Nadia Dalamonte. She is a manager with Title Plus Claims and counsel with LawPro. Nadia manages both Title Plus claims as well as Law Pro professional liability claims. And over the past 16 years, she's dealt with some very complex files, including class action suits and caution hearings. Nadia is not only dedicated to ensuring excellence within the Title Plus and Law Pro claims, but she shares her knowledge and her expertise with the legal community through published articles in Law Pro's magazine. And she's a member of Law Pro's fraud response team, providing guidance and support to Ontario lawyers. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited to learn more about claims and hopefully hear some great stories. So let's go chat with Nadia. Hi, Nadia, and thank you so much for joining us today on the third episode of the In Closing podcast. So I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you end up claims manager with Title Plus and with Law Pro? Sure. Thank you so much for having me today, Shauna. It's a real pleasure to be here and be part of this series. So I I have been manager of Title Plus Claims since 2019, and before that I handled Title Plus Claims as well as professional liability claims against lawyers since 2008 as Claims Counsel. Was that with LawPro or was that with another company? Yes, that's been uh, with LawPro. Okay. So what about before LawPro? What did you do? What's your background? So I articled with LawPro in 2006 and seven, okay. and then I worked at another insurer for uh, about a year uh, working on lawyers' uh, professional liability excess insurance, as well as a variety of other types of uh, insurance, including directors and officers' uh, liability. Wow. So you've had a lot of experience. Yeah. Well, I think everybody is sort of wondering the same thing, as am I. Do you have some interesting stories for us? It's always great to hear about claims and how they play out. Yes, absolutely. I uh, One of the uh, stories that sticks in my mind as a, a recent really great claim was uh, we had a uh, policyholder report to us that they had uh, tried to sell their property in November of 2021 after owning it for about 20 years with no with no issue and uh, and as they were scheduled to close a day before closing of the uh, sale of their property and the purchase of a new property they had discovered that they had actually not obtained title to their property way back when when they purchased oh no and that was uh, obviously to to say uh, very stressful for them uh, and uh, Fortunately, because of it, the claim was covered under <clears throat> legal services coverage as well as the title coverage under the policy, we were able to confirm coverage and step right in right away to assist in starting to take steps to try to save both deals. So we were able to work with their lawyer as well as uh, our law pro preferred counsel that we retained to extend uh, the closing of both uh, the sale and the purchase of the new property, but only uh, we were only able to secure a date to December 21st. Uh, so that was a really quick turnaround from the late November date where this uh, all was discovered. Uh, fortunately, we were able to uh, secure that uh, extension, and then our council pretty much lobbied the court to get a 
uh, the matter dealt with uh, to obtain a, a vesting order to vest title in the property to the policyholders on an urgent basis. And we were able to close for the, ready to close for the the December 21st deadline. And so they were able to move into their home and basically, you know, celebrate their holidays in their new place. Wow. So that's a really quick turn of time, turnaround time. So end of November to December 21st, you mm-hmm. said, and you were able yeah. to get in front of a judge and yeah. get the vesting order that quickly. Yeah, and it was very uh, concerning at the time because it was still during the pandemic and there had been significant backlogs in uh, court scheduling. Uh, so normally that would have been very difficult to achieve in such a, a short uh, period of time. But just thank you to the work of our preferred counsel and our policyholders lawyer and our internal staff uh, for, for working um, uh, tirelessly to get that done. Wow, that's fantastic. And that's, that's a really big issue. I mean, mm-hmm. that's something major. Yeah. Um, any other wild and wonderful stories? Well, I did actually recently hear about receive a claim with respect to uh, a, a policyholder who was looking to install a pool in their backyard. So that's, you know, pretty typical for many homeowners. Uh, When they started doing the digging, they discovered the remains of a body. And uh, and so that would put put a stop to the uh, development of the backyard. Uh, And it turns out that the the backyard had been a part of a private burial site many years ago. And the developers who created the subdivision that this property was a part of uh, had, I guess, missed the one of the um, remains of one of the people buried there. So they uh, they ended up uh, obtaining a an order to pl- comply to um, uh, t- do a burial investigation. Uh, and that means getting an archaeological site uh, assessment done. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- I thought that was pretty interesting. Wow. So when they did the archaeological assessment, were they then able to determine that it was not a burial site and then it was cleared or? It was, a, yeah, it was a burial site. So they just needed to remove uh, the remains to the, uh, where a, a new burial site that had been created way back when the subdivision was created and that cemetery was basically moved to uh, a new location. So that, that was required. Okay. So to get to this process now, you've, you've, you're dealing with a claim and you're, you're hopefully striving for an outcome that's satisfactory to you know, the insured or the policyholder. So let's just go back to the beginning maybe. So say we've got uh, a homeowner who finds some sort of a problem um, and they think maybe they've got coverage under their title insurance policy. But you know, unless you're in the real estate industry, how much do you really know about what's covered and what's not and what you're supposed to do? What would be the first step? What should they do? Yeah, that's a great question. The first step I always recommend is to submit the proof of loss. Uh, there is really, it doesn't matter if there's even a remote possibility that something might be covered. Uh, there is really no downside to uh, heading to the Title Plus website. There is an online form there uh, called the Proof of Loss. It requests some basic information, uh, contact information and information about the basic circumstances underlying the claim. And that's submitted. Uh, it immediately creates a claim file in our, our system, which is a, uh, permits for a claims uh, professional to be assigned to the matter, to review it, to ask any additional questions. 
And, you know, if it's, uh, even if it's not covered at the, based on the circumstances that are described in the proof of loss, it may still be that there is the possibility to engage coverage based on some additional steps that are required. So, for example, we often get reports of a uh, discovery of illegal work completed to a property without a permit where a permit was required. That in and of itself does not engage coverage under the policy. However, uh, if uh, an order to comply with respect to that work is issued, that would, generally speaking, uh, be more likely to engage coverage. And a claims professional who is aware that the policyholder has discovered that illegal work is able to to take those steps to guide the policyholder as to what steps to take uh, to further that process along and see if that can engage coverage under the policy. Wow. So it's really important then that they have guidance from the claims professional because just from the way you're explaining it, there are so many different steps involved. And and a lot of it is very legal, you know, and and they don't necessarily understand all of this. So, you know, I mean, step number one, getting in contact with that claims professional, getting that proof of loss form in. Um, So they've got this this situation. And as you described, there may or may not be coverage under the policy, but the claims professional can sort of guide them um, so that they know how to, we say, engage or trigger coverage. So basically, you know, the policy's got coverage, but under certain conditions, are we able to deal with the claim? Um, So that's very interesting. So for example, let's say that someone hired a contractor, maybe they're trying to renovate their house, mm-hmm. you know, and let's say that contractor has to tear down some drywall because they're doing some plumbing. Mm-hmm. Um, when they do that, maybe they find something very strange behind the wall and they figure there's no possible way that that could have been inspected because to them, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't comply with the code. It can't be, it can't be proper. It can't be legal. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they found something like that and they're talking to one of our claims professionals, they've already submitted their proof of loss form. That's a scenario that you're talking about where that claims professional might guide them to make sure that they take the next proper steps so that they can, um, you know, work with the claims professional and, and have that claim resolved. Yeah, that's really important because the next steps, generally speaking, might be to a home, homeowner on their own might think, well, I'm going to approach the city and I'm going to uh, have an inspection done and uh, often with a view to obtaining an order to comply to engage the title insurance policy. And the important thing is, Uh, An order in and of itself is not necessarily engaging the title insurance policy. So before a homeowner takes that step, it's really valuable to talk to the claims professional and understand what the nature of the coverage that's available under the policy is first Mm -hmm. before they approach the city. Because uh, once that order is issued, then it's uh, much more difficult to backtrack from that. Uh, But uh, at least if they're well informed by that discussion with the claims professional, who may also uh, depending on the circumstances, reach out to the building department themselves. Oh. Our our team is is uh, has extensive experience in communicating with uh, building authorities and other governmental authorities in relation to uh, you know basically compliance issues that arise with respect to title of a property. And so there really can be an ally to the homeowner to in communicating with the building or other authority to obtain a clear understanding of what, if anything, is a problem with the property, where it's arising from, and what a clear solution to that could be. That's great, because, you know, I 
I would bet that a lot of people would be kind of nervous to call the city mm-hmm. and and ask them to come out and look look at something, thinking, mm-hmm. you know, well, what happens if there isn't coverage and then I'm going to be on the, on the hook, which is exactly what you're sort of alluding to, right? Mm-hmm. Once you've got an order that's been issued, now you have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So sort of going down that road then, when we we're thinking about the, the Title Plus policy, for instance, I know that there can be exclusions and exceptions to coverage. Um, do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about that and how that can affect the direction of the claim? Yeah, generally uh, it is helpful to really think about title insurance as pertaining to anything that might impact uh, the title of the property, the ability to sell the property in, from a title perspective. So uh, that would generally include uh, specific title problems as in registered title issues um, and or uh, compliance issues in terms of that that sort of starts to get into uh, the the building department issues or zoning issues, as well as uh, encroachment issues issues that could be determined by an up to date survey, um, and uh, you know arrears issues, sort of uh, prior obligations by a prior owner of the property that could uh, end up forming a lien against the property. So it's important to kind of think of of uh, title insurance from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Something else I'm thinking about is what about, you know, the type of property that you're dealing with? We know we're dealing with residential, Mm -hmm. um, but you know, there can be your simple single family home or you could have something such as a multi-unit. Yes. And I know because I'm a consultant with Title Plus that there are for the lawyers who are ordering the policy on behalf of their clients, depending on the property type, there's different search requirements. Yes. Do they affect or can they affect the exclusions and exceptions that are in a policy? Yeah, absolutely. The type of policy that uh, is being applied for will can and will have different uh, underwriting requirements in terms of the searches that are required. And if the uh, lawyer understands that a certain, uh, you know, for example, zoning coverage is not required and then doesn't do the search in accordance with the underwriting requirements, that could result in a an exception to the policy, meaning a limitation to the coverage available under the policy with respect to that particular risk. So it's really under, important to understand what the client is intending to use the property for, what kinds of coverages are, are needed by that client, and what the underwriting requirements are. Okay, yeah, when you say important for the client to understand, I would assume that this is a conversation that you want to happen between the lawyer and their client Absolutely. because the lawyer is ordering the policy, but the clients are, of course, the ones who are getting the coverage, and so they really need to decide what what they want and what they're willing to have excluded from the policy. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Are there costs affiliated with doing these searches? Absolutely, yep. Generally, uh, there would be a cost, which is the underlying um uh, aim of title insurance is to waive those costs or avoid the necessity of incurring those costs in favor of the risk being insured by title insurance. So it's important to have that discussion in terms of the costs, uh, as well as weighing whether uh, it's a risk that uh, the, the client would like to be covered under title insurance versus uh, incurring that cost and obtaining a clear answer to uh, the search to understand what limitations there may be with respect to the property. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think we've come a long way with title insurance, actually. I do remember way back when it was very expensive for a homeowner to complete a purchase transaction because of all of these extra searches that they had to do. Yes. So now with title insurance, assuming some of those risks, that's definitely 
a cost savings for them. And so understanding how the claims can, can sort of come into play there because of these risks that have been assumed. Um, it's really interesting just to just to see the exclusions and that. Okay, so I want to come back to something you mentioned earlier. You talked about, I think it was the first claims example that you were um, going through. Mm -hmm. You talked about obtaining a vesting order and you said that the coverage was triggered through, I guess, partially the legal service coverage in a Title yes. Plus policy. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about that coverage? Yeah, that's uh, uh, probably the coverage of greatest value under our Title Plus policy and the sense that it's a very broad-based uh, errors and emissions coverage for the benefit of our uh, policyholders being the homeowners and the lenders, where the uh, if there is a, an error or emission made in connection with a transaction insured under the policy, so the, the purchase or the, the loan transaction, uh, and that's uh, made by the, the their lawyer, the uh, policyholder, the purchaser, or the lender is able to make a claim directly to Title Plus with respect to, to that to seek compensation for the actual loss. Uh, it's, a, it's really a fabulous uh, process in the sense that the, the policyholder is able to directly communicate with the insurer, does not have to start litigation uh, necessarily. They always have the right to uh, do what they see fit, but uh, they really don't need to. They can. It's as simple as submitting a proof of loss to Title Plus. We're able to then uh, use that to investigate, confirm that there's an error or omission that's been made that causes an actual loss. And uh, if that is confirmed, then we're able to deal with the policyholder directly to resolve the claim. It's a it's a much quicker, less costly process as compared to the usual. And do you find, just based on your experience, is the legal services coverage something that ends up being utilized fairly frequently in the claims department? Uh, it is absolutely utilized. It's always considered in respect of every single claim because consider that the other coverages under the policy are, in a way, a very narrow coverage. So the, the title, you know, defects coverage, the compliance coverage, those are uh, related to very specific risks, whereas the legal services coverage is very broad in relation to any error or mission made with respect to the the real estate transaction. So it's it's a much, much broader coverage than would otherwise be the case if it weren't there. And so I'm thinking back to the exceptions and exclusions now relating that to the legal services coverage. Do they apply to the legal service coverage as well as the rest of the policy? They, are, they do not apply in the same way. They are given consideration, uh, especially with respect to the fact that any exceptions in a policy will be set out in the acknowledgement that is signed by the purchaser with respect to obtaining title insurance. And so, uh, you know, we consider it to be that the purchaser and lender is aware of the exceptions that are listed in the policy. Uh, however, it does not, it's not determinative of, of anything. So you could have an exception or an exclusion under the policy that pertains to the risk that is uh, the subject of the claim mm -hmm. and still end up having the claim covered under legal services coverage. Uh, so it really is quite broad. Yes. And so you were talking about the process for the insured or the, the homeowner, the policyholder. If they didn't have this coverage, or if they have any sort of claim that doesn't fall within policy coverage, what other options do they have? What other recourse do they have to sort of, you know, get get their money back? Or, or um, you know, if something's gone wrong and they need to get it fixed, how can they go about doing that? 
Yeah, uh, generally speaking, uh, other, you know, we, we always try to help our policyholders if something's not covered, but we see that it arises out of something like a vendor misrepresentation. We will suggest that they seek independent legal advice regarding the prospects of uh, proceeding against a the vendor for misrepresentation, which might grant them some compensation. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, it, it sort of depends on the nature of the risk. Some things that are you know, the subject of an order to comply by by a local building department authority, um, there really isn't anyone one else that they can seek compensation from. And it's just part and parcel of the, you know, ownership risks of uh, owners owning a property. And so that that might be just a cost that they they have to incur themselves. Uh, but we'll always try to look for uh, and and provide them with, with some courtesy uh, recommendations if there is somewhere else that they can go. This is something that comes up when I'm meeting with lawyers. It's a question that I get. What if, you know, a law office is typically obtaining a Title Plus policy for their purchaser clients and their lender clients, and something went wrong, something went awry, and, uh, you know, the deal has closed and the homeowner is now unhappy about something. If they don't go back to their lawyer and talk to them and and recognize that they may have coverage under the, their Title Plus policy. Let's say instead they go see another lawyer, and that lawyer advises them to sue, mm-hmm. commence an action. And they, of course, name everyone and anyone in that lawsuit, including their lawyer from the purchase transaction. What happens there? This is going to come into Law Pro, and I know you're also dealing with Law Pro claims. So what, what happens in that scenario? Yes. So they, uh, the lawyer that is uh, insured under their Law Pro policy will report in the normal course that claim against them. A claim file will be opened up under their professional liability policy. However, because they uh, placed a title insurance policy with respect, a title plus policy with respect to uh, the transaction that's the subject of the claim, mm-hmm. uh, LAWPRO will be in a position to waive the deductible and levy claims history levy surcharge that would otherwise apply with respect to that claim. Oh, that's good. That's definitely good news for the lawyer who's insuring with Title Plus because that's something that's out of their control, right? They, they can't force the client to come back to them. So it's good to know that they still have that protection yes. uh, either way. Yes, it's in recognition of the fact that Title Plus, the, the policyholder could have made a claim directly under their Title Plus policy, which would, of course, have no implications on a a lawyer in respect of a deductible or claims history levy surcharge. So the fact that the the policyholder maybe didn't appreciate that they could have made that claim, but then instead on the advice of another lawyer or just on their own initiative decide to claim against the lawyer uh, directly, uh, that will not impact their, you know, we treat it the same way in terms of waiving the, that the deductible and claims history levy surcharge simply doesn't apply. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Maybe we can pick your brain a little bit. I know that you have written several articles for Law Pro publications and that you have a lot of expertise in the area of, you know, complex claims and and fraud-related issues. Can you maybe tell me a little bit about what is hot topic right now in the claims department? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Regrettably, we're seeing uh, an uptick in fraud claims and uh, across the board uh, in respect of real estate matters. Uh, the, the newer trends are the vendor frauds where we're seeing fraudsters impersonate the uh, being the owner of a property using 
often very sophisticated identification, false identification, uh, to then sell the property. Uh, this usually is with respect to properties that are rental properties, Airbnb properties, or just simply unoccupied properties where the owner is living in another country and not generally uh, available to be at the on-site at the property. Uh, the other area we're seeing a lot of is cybercrime. Uh, that's on the increase where, and it does uh, often connect to real estate transactions where uh, a cybercrime fraudster will hack into a system, uh, monitor uh, someone at the law firm's email account, whether it be a clerk or a lawyer, uh, looking for real estate transactions where money is going to be changing uh, hands and monitoring that. At some point during the course of the deal, the fraudster starts sending emails to the clerk or the lawyer at the law firm purporting to be the client or another party in the transaction, another lawyer. And eventually when it's time to uh, direct funds to payment for the client, the fraudster redirects those funds to a new account using the email account uh, that they have hacked into. Uh, they ask the the member of the law firm to redirect the funds to a, 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 a new account at their request. The um, emails look amazingly genuine, authentic, and really very, very difficult to identify that there is any concerns. So the member of the law firm transfers the funds in accordance with the wire or other direction as, uh, you know, thought of being obtained from the client, but really it's the fraudster. Mm -hmm. And by the time the client, the, uh, the law firm realizes that it's, uh, it's the fraudster that directed the funds, uh, they're gone. Uh, and so wow. in, uh, in all of these situations, these are really on the, the rise, these types of frauds. And in all of these situations, there are a number of steps that uh, can be taken by uh, lawyers and their staff to try and prevent against these frauds. Uh, in addition to sort of the ge the general red flags of fraud that we've known about for years, uh, including, you know, um, quick turnarounds of uh, transactions yes, yes. and uh, payment to third parties of the of, uh, proceeds of a sale of a property or mortgage mm -hmm. uh, where uh, those those third parties seemingly have no connection to the transaction at issue. Uh, with respect to cybercrime in particular, calling the client to confirm any redirection of funds. And specifically, there is, uh, there's often going to be a contact information in the uh, purported fraudster's uh, email uh, purporting to be the client. It's highly recommended that the any member of the law firm contact uh, the client at an independently verified uh, telephone number to speak to the client and ensure that those directions are legitimate. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a lot of money here. Yes. Right? So for sure. I And of course, they always have their client's contact information, a cell number or a work number or a home number. Yes. You know, so just to call them to verify, did you send me this email? Where would you like these funds to go? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That first example that you gave us with the, the vendor fraud and the Airbnbs, that's really interesting too. So so how I'm just trying to understand exactly how that works. So somebody, what, they rent out an Airbnb and then 
pretend like they own it? Yes, so they obtain fraudulent uh, documentation to suggest that they are the, the person who owns the property. Uh, and they go to a lawyer, uh, they purport to transfer the property. And the way they're they're selling the property is by way of the fact that their owner isn't there. They're, the the property is vacant, and so they're able to allow potential purchasers to visit the property, potential mortgage lenders to appraise the property. Wow. And uh, and that's how they're able to then uh, secure and, and close an otherwise seemingly legitimate uh, real estate deal. These fraudsters just keep getting more and more creative. Yes. That's crazy. Well, for our, for our listeners and our viewers out there, if they have questions or if they want to get in touch with you, um, is there a way for them to do it? Are you, are you on social media or how should they connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. There, I am on. Uh, I am on social media. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I am always available uh, at my direct line at LawPro four one six five nine eight five eight five one. I'm always happy to receive emails at Nadia N A D I A dot Dalamonte D A L I M O N T E at LawPro L A W P R O dot C A. Always happy to hear from anyone, and but uh, you know, ultimately, if anyone is hesitant to uh, to approach with a particular matter, and they are a policyholder, I strongly encourage uh, submit a proof of loss, and we're so happy to receive those and be able to help where we can. We're often finding situations where policyholders didn't think something was covered, and then it is. Right. And so, uh, you know, please, uh, by all means, it's a very a simple process. It doesn't take a lot of time. There's not a lot of information required, uh, and it can be absolutely a, a positive uh, outcome. Oh, perfect. Okay, and that proof of loss form that's on www.titleplus.ca. Yes, that's right. And is it under the resources section? I believe so. Eh? I believe under the uh, the uh, homepage at titleplus.ca there is a file a claim button. Perfect. And that can be uh, selected to take you to the proof of loss. Perfect. Very easy. Okay, well, thanks again so much for joining us, Nada. Nadia, I appreciate it. You have so much information. Thank you.